Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We've been studying through the book of Jonah together, and his story is incredibly bizarre, isn't it? It's a whole lot more than, oh, a guy got swallowed by a whale, and then he went and preached to people, and they got saved. That's like the small, very badly summed up version of the story of Jonah. And, um, and when we hear it that way, we think, oh, yeah, no big deal. But over the last few weeks, we've learned so many more things about Jonah's story. We've dug really deep into who he was as a person, what God had called him to, the people that he had called him to, and Jonah's response to injustice and to God's justice. A traumatized prophet was, was sent to his oppressors, the people who traumatized him and his people. He had a traumatic experience in the belly of a fish for three days um, and half digested was spit on the sand and he still went and did what God called him to do and then he pouted about it for a whole chapter at the end of the book of Jonah. A man of God wasn't acting like a man of God. Sailors weren't acting like sailors. Heathens weren't acting like heathens and to be honest fish weren't even acting like fish, right? All of these elements of the stories awaken us from our lullaby understanding of what actually happened. Sometimes we become so familiar with a bizarre story that we can kind of be lulled to sleep by it. Like, oh yeah, that small thing, when it wasn't really a small thing. So Bible scholars call this the lullaby effect. When we've heard a story, whether traumatic or bizarre, we've heard it so many times and we can just like kind of swallow it like, oh, that's no big deal. And um, lullabies are these little ditties that people have come up with over time about horrible things that happen. And they sound like really fun children's play, right? We sing about them at recess and we remember singing about it as kids. Uh, But if you really think about a lullaby, they're really awful. Like, how about this one? It's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. Jumped out of bed and bumped his head and couldn't get up in the morning. These are kids singing about an old guy who hit his head and died. How horrible is that? Or how about this one? Ring around the rosy, a pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. That's about the black plague. That a third of the world died from an incurable disease, a plague that wiped off a third of a population. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down and die. These are children trying to find joy out of trauma and trying to sing about it. And, you know, over time, it becomes a lullaby, and we lose track of what the true meaning is. And over the last few weeks, we've learned this about Jonah. We have awakened out of the lullaby effect of the real story that God has put in the Bible to share with us, that he is a God of justice, that he calls us to repentance, and he wants everyone to know his salvation, ourselves and our enemies. And so tonight, we're going to look and see what Matthew has to say about Jesus and what Jesus has to say about Jonah. So Jonah's only mentioned four different times in the Bible. The first time is in 2 Kings 
and then the book of Jonah. And then the third time is in Matthew chapter 12. And then that same story is repeated in Luke 11. We're, we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 12 tonight. We're not going to focus on Luke 11. But before we get into uh, the word of God, let's go ahead and, and pray. Lord, we love you so much. So much, God. Thank you for awaking us to who you are. Lord, you're not just a concept. You're not just an idea, someone that we become comfortable with. You want to awaken us from our lullabies and find you in the truth of who you are so we can walk with you with an honest heart, with a humble heart. And God, may the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us. And I'm so thankful for your presence. Lord, I felt your presence during our worship. You came and you visited with us. And I know that you're here with us now. And I pray that you would have your way in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 says, One day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. So let's pause here because some of us haven't grown up in church all our life, and I don't want to be lullabied to the fact that you might not know who the Pharisees are. So the Pharisees are, were the original leaders in, um, in Israel. So these were, and, and the political leaders were also the religious leaders, right? So they kind of governed over all factions of the people. So they, they understood the law, they studied the law, they were the lawyers, they were the judges, they were the pastors, and so these were the head authority in their community. And here comes along this guy named Jesus preaching the word of God with authority that was threatening their power, and they wanted to know who Jesus was. They needed a sign from Jesus that Jesus could prove to them who he really was. So before Dan and I were married, we both went to college together, and uh, we were friends at first. Actually, we were acquaintances at first that kind of tolerated each other, and then we became begrudging friends, and then we became actual friends, and then we started thinking each other was kind of cute, and we were in this, like, middle school point of our relationship where it was like, I think I like him, and I think he likes me, and maybe we can go out on a date and all these things. <laughs> um, and so during that time... Uh, I had shared some class notes with him, and so I had put it in his mailbox in our uh, campus mailroom. I worked on campus, so my routine every day was to go through the mailroom on my way to check in and clock in for work. And so before, well, yeah, before this one day, I'm going to tell you this. I was in a group of friends, and they were talking about how one, your mailbox key would fit one other person's mailbox in the mailroom. It was a small college, but we still probably had like 300 mailboxes in the mailroom. And so I didn't say this out loud, but I said it. I remember thinking in my heart, I said, what if my mailbox key fit the mailbox of the guy I'm supposed to marry? <laughs> it was such a ridiculous sign. I didn't even ask God for it. Like it was just really silly, right? So one day I walked to work and I checked my mail and I had put that note in Dan's mailbox so I knew which mailbox it was, and I looked around me to make sure nobody thought I was a stalker, because mind you, I was stalking him at this point. This is very stalkerish. Nobody was in the mailroom, and I put my key in his mailbox, and it turned, and it opened. Ah! It was awesome. It was a sign from God. I met my spouse. 
yay. Actually, I, I didn't feel that way until later, but it, it's just funny to look back on. I'm glad that God helps me remember. Um, but how often in life we look for some signs. Signs are important. Signs keep us safe. It helps us to know where to go and how to get there and how to proceed. Signs are the data collectors we need, which is why we fill out census and why we do our taxes and and why companies perform needs assessments to gain data so they can have better business. We have Google reviews as a sign that, no, we shouldn't go see that movie that is really low on the Rotten Tomatoes list. That is a sign for me not to go see that movie. Or don't buy that product. Or this is the best product. You should totally buy it. We look for signs to be successful. The Pharisees were looking for the sign of Christ's authority. They had to be sure that Jesus was who he claimed he was, that he was a man who preached God's authority, but they wanted to make sure that he was that guy. They weren't convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. They were wondering why so many people were leaving their livelihoods to follow after a man that they didn't know, and they wanted to know Christ before they were all in. They were careful with Jesus. They were skeptical. They were hesitant. And if Jesus is truly all-powerful, then surely a tiny little small miracle, a sign, wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? There was too much risk for them to be all in with Christ. They would lose social status. They might lose influence. They might lose their job. Um, Worse, they might lose their lives to the Romans. They weren't ignorant to the many, many signs and wonders that Jesus had already done, right? Like he had already healed the lame. He had already healed the blind man. He had turned water into wine. Jesus commanded the weather already, and they've heard the rumors, and he showed his power over demons even earlier in this very chapter. How much more of a sign could you want? But they just wanted one more before they could be fully convinced before being all in. It's like they wanted to see if their mailbox key would fit into his mailbox. Would he perform their rules and would, would he bend his will to their way on their demand? The Pharisees wanted a tangible proof of Christ before they would go all in. And I think we've all been there. I think that we can continually be there asking God, for a sign or a proof that he is who he says he is, a sign that he is good, a sign that he is loving, a sign that he is our provider, a sign that he is here with us. And then verse uh, 38, boy, my eyesight, I need glasses, so I can't actually read it. So I think that's verse 38 on the next slide. Yeah, no, 39. See, I I couldn't read it on my paper. So verse 39, Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, we know that story, right? So will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So here Jesus points out two sinful mentalities that kept the Pharisees from being all in. And as we look at these two sinful mentalities that kept the Pharisees from being all in, I can't help but notice that these are two sinful mentalities that keep me from being all in with Christ at different times in my life. And so Jesus talks about the evil and adulterous generation 
Jesus wasn't just pointing out these specific men. He was talking about a whole generation. Jesus was referring to all of humanity as evil and adulterous. And these are what keep us from Christ. So evil here is this Greek word set, um, that says poneros. And uh, this kind of evil implies evil action. So this is like an outward sin that people sin, do wrong deeds that are against God's ways, that they're uh, liars and proud and greedy and they steal and they're disobedient and they're not humble before God. Evil seeps from their lives through this greed and through selfish indulgence, through materialism, through hostility, through holding grudges and negatively influencing the lives of those around them, through being pride and envious. And I hear this list and it just hits me. Have you been there? Have you been in any of those things? Envy, pride, holding a grudge, materialistic, selfish. And Paul writes about this kind of evil. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, Paul says, They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. An evil generation demands a sign. This is a challenge of God's authority, and we see it everywhere. If God is real, then. If God is good, then why? If God is loving, then how can he? A question of God's character. Evil tries to repaint a picture to make him more enjoyable through a sinful perspective. But God will not be changed. That God is who he says he is, not who I say he is, not who you say he is. God is who he says he is. And it's our human prerogative to search him and find him and know who he is because he wants to make himself known to us. When Jesus says adulteress, the word he uses for adulteress makes the Pharisees immediately recall how Israel had turned away from God and from the ways that God had taught his people to follow him. And they think of this idea of adultery, of infidelity. And the people show their infidelity to God through idolatry. They would turn to the gods of the nations and begin to worship other gods and begin to act out in evil in ways that they knew wasn't designed by God. They were unfaithful to what God had called them to. They were unfaithful and they broke their covenant with their God. And this adultery, we would call idolatry. Jesus talks about several forms of idolatry or spiritual adultery. The first is money. Jesus talks about money a whole lot in the gospel, which we'll get to like next week and the next four weeks. So that'll be really fun. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, he says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot love both God and money. Power. Power can become an idol. Jesus says in Matthew 20, 16, so those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Jesus is looking for humble followers, not people who are grabbing for power. Jesus says that living for personal pleasure is idolatry. Matthew 16, 25 says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. God wants us to live selflessly, poured out for him, for his pleasure, and for the love of other people. Idolatry is a timeless inclination of the sinful heart. 
It's in that generation, and it's in our generation at work in us today. And these two things will keep us from being all in with Jesus. The desire to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. Wait, God. That's evil that, that isn't pleasing to God, and it keeps us from being all in with who Jesus says he is. Idolatry, spiritual adultery, keeps us from being all in with Christ. When we begin to put things as a higher priority in Christ, and you know what? Honestly, when I see this in my life, God usually points out idolatry in my heart when I begin to realize how I'm spending my time because time isn't something I can get back. We can take a loan out for money, which we'll talk about later, (laughs) but we can't take a loan out for time. And so how are we spending our time? Are we devoting valuable time to the things of God? Are we using it for our self-pleasure? And so God will point out idolatry in our life. Left unguarded, our hearts can easily be inclined to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And as we've already learned, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, isn't there? There's a little bit of that person who doesn't want to do God's will because it's really uncomfortable. There's a little bit of that person who has a different sense of justice that isn't a godly sense of justice. There's a little bit of that person that's very selfishly inclined, just like it was in Jonah. But praise God, because someone greater than Jonah has already come. Jesus has come. I saw a sign on the highway last week, and it was one of those, like, really empowering signs. It was just put there to make people feel good. And I did, like, I felt empowered when I saw it. And it was a big blank billboard that said, you are enough. Doesn't that feel good when someone says, you are enough. You can do it. You are enough. And Jesus makes the bold statement over and over again, that sign doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus says, I love you enough to tell you that you by yourself are not enough. Because we're not enough, Jesus died on a cross for our sin. So that way he could buy us back because we couldn't earn it by our own effort. And because of Christ, we are enough. But only because of Christ, not in our own power, not in our own effort. Only because of Jesus, we are enough. God wants to save us out of darkness and out of deep need that we're surrounded by. See, evil and idolatry is a sticky, sinful mess. It causes pain and suffering. The Bible even says that sin feels good for a moment. So it's not about feeling bad. It's about, like, it feels good for a moment. But the Bible also says that in the end, it leads to death. Imagine all the lusts of your heart, all the things that you desire that's apart from God. The thinking toward things, people, power, and pleasure being like that dark, mulched-up fish chum that Jonah was surrounded by in the deep, pitch-black belly of a fish for three days. Sin will suck the oxygen out of our life. Sin will crowd us and take over our lives, and we will not be in control of the sin. The sin will be in control of us. And when we're in that really deep, dark place, it's a tomb that we just cannot get out of by ourselves. And Jesus gave the Pharisees a sign, but it wasn't the miracle that they were looking for. Jonah was stuck in the belly of a fish for three days because of sin. He was powerless to escape from the fish. But Jesus has the authority to speak God's word, cast out demons, slay darkness, heal sickness, command the weather patterns, and save rebels. And it's summed up in this. 
so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. God's sign, Jesus' sign to an evil, adulterous generation is to personally join us rebels in the deep, dark belly of whatever fish that we are stuck in and sit with us in the darkness, but not just stay there. Because I want you to remember the second week Pastor Tonto talked to us about the prayer that Jonah prayed, cried out on the third day in the belly of the fish. He said all this really nice stuff, and at the end he said, salvation is from the Lord. And that faith-filled statement motivated God that God ordered the fish to let loose its grip on Jonah, releasing him to life. And in the same way, in Acts 2.24, the Bible says God released Jesus from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Salvation is the sign that Jesus is indeed who he says he is, because he went to the grave for us, and he didn't stay in the dark. He burst through at the power of God, and he came out, and we are brought out of darkness into his marvelous light, but not because of anything that we did to break through, through that fish. It's all the work of Christ. And his sign to us says, you are not enough. Jesus says, I am enough, and I've come all in with you in the darkness of your circumstance, in the hopelessness of your circumstance, in the hidden places, in the overwhelming, in the most grimy parts of your life to command death to spit you out. And you have new life in me. What does it take for us to be all in with Jesus? So let's remember together for a moment um, how Jesus brought God's message how Jonah brought God's message to the people who were about to be under judgment for their sins. It wasn't loving. It wasn't kind. It wasn't informational. It wasn't politically correct. Jonah yelled out in the middle of a busy street. He says, yet 40 days, Nineveh overthrown. I think he shouted it out with glee. Yet 40 days, you suckers are going to be under judgment from God. And these words were shouted at them with condemnation. But thankfully, someone greater than Jonah has come to show us the way that Jesus is aware of the judgment of God on our lives because of sin. But Jesus came to break us out of sin and to show us the way to new life. So Jesus gives the Pharisees two responses that we are to have when we're confronted with sin in our own lives. So we're going to read on. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. The queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. Our response to sin is to repent and pursue wisdom. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, and we respond with repentance. So Jonah was expecting judgment, but when the people surprised him and they repented, God changed his mind. He turned his favor on them and showed them mercy because they repented. Repentance is the expression of faith saying, God, I'm not enough. I need your help. I'm sorry for my sin. Please, Lord, save me. And then we stop doing the sin that we've been convicted of. Repentance is repentance levels the rocky ground, making a straight path to our salvation. 
Our response to sin is to repent. Repentance is the heart cry to God, I am not enough, but you are more than enough. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, and we respond with listening to wisdom like the queen of Sheba, which is a character we haven't learned from, and it's in a different part of the Bible. But Solomon was one of the wisest kings in history, and definitely the wisest king in the Bible. And there's a, um, a queen, a very powerful queen. She was either from Saudi Arabia area or from Ethiopia. Scholars aren't sure. But she traveled all the way up to Israel just to sit at the feet of Solomon so she could listen to his wisdom. So my mom was doing some work in Myanmar at some point several years ago. And she put together a women's conference with some of the um, uh, Burmese women's leaders in the, in the country, and they put on like a three-day women's conference. So here, our women's conference, we come and we learn about Jesus. We spend time with other women. Joy Herbst does an amazing job decorating everything and putting things together in a beautiful way, and we just have time, and we put it in our calendar and make sure that we clear our schedules and find childcare if we have kids uh, to make it, that happen for a day and a half. When my mom put on a women's event in Myanmar, there were women who showed up to this conference to spend time learning God's word, to spend time with other Christian women, to pray together and minister together. These women did not have cars. They didn't have access to buses. They walked to this conference. They walked for two weeks to this conference. And when the conference was over, they walked back home for two weeks. They walked for a month to listen to wisdom. Wisdom can be easy to come by. We have wisdom at our beck and call. We have the Bible on our phones. We have it on the big screen. We have it in maybe our drawers at home. It's in every drawer in every hotel room in America almost. And yet how much time do we spend seeking wisdom with our own time? And I'm so glad that you are here tonight because you are here and you're seeking wisdom. So don't feel condemned in that. But I want to challenge you that hearing wisdom is different than listening to wisdom. Because when we listen to wisdom, we are applying God's truth to our everyday life. So when you leave here and you go to work tomorrow and you come across that coworker who just drives you crazy, are you applying wisdom? Are you being kind? When you come across an enemy, are you scowling at them or trying to imagine ways that you can get back at them? Or are you praying for your enemy? Are you applying wisdom? That is what will help us to be all in with Christ, is wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4 says, Let wisdom's words penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Thinking about being spit out by a fish, I think about the first thing Jonah probably did when he came out on the sand in a sticky, nasty mess. I think the first thing he did was clean himself off and get all that fish chum off of his body. Repentance cleans up the vomit of evil that clings to our heart. And wisdom cleans up the vomit of idolatry that whelms up in our heart. Let, remi let me remind us that Jesus is talking to what appeared to be godly people. These men would have memorized the Torah before they were the age of 12. That's the first five books of the Bible. That's like a lot of chapters, a lot of words. 
So they knew the Bible. They knew it. And they were standing face to face with their Messiah, with the word of God. And they missed it because they, they heard wisdom and they learned it, but they didn't listen to wisdom. They didn't listen to the word. And I just want us to pause tonight and ask ourselves, what's keeping you from being all in with Jesus? And I know that there's a lot of different people in this room tonight. There might be some people in here who's been following Jesus for years and years and years and years. There might be people in here who just came tonight to check it out and and learn more about who this Jesus guy is. And there might be someone in here who's new to the faith and you're really excited about Jesus and you're like, yeah, I'm all in with Christ. And that's the beauty of Christ and the way that he speaks to our heart is he knows us personally. That no matter where we are in our walk with him, he's constantly going to say, hey, that's an idol in your heart. Give it to me. Come all in with me. Trust me. I love you. I know you. I have good things for your life. I have a plan for your life. But that's not part of it. That's not in my plan for your life. And that can be really uncomfortable sometimes. And that can be painful sometimes. And that can be a sacrifice sometimes. But the best place to be is to be all in with Christ, all out of the darkness, all out of the mess, and all in with Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray tonight. Lord, we love you so much, and I do thank you that you are a personal God. I thank you, Lord, that you know each and every one of us in this room. God, you go beyond that, and you know every hair that's on everyone's head. That's a lot of hair. And you don't forget stuff. We forget stuff all the time, but you don't forget. Lord, your word says that you ordained our days before we were even born. (laughs) And you designed good work for us to enjoy in life. God, you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit to help us to walk with you and to do the work that you've called us to. And I'm so thankful that you are a humble God that you came down from your throne and you entered the belly of the whale with us and you sat in our darkness with us for three days and three nights and yet you didn't remain. You broke free and you bring us out of death into new life and we want to live in your light, Lord. I pray for each person in this room that you would bless them, that you continue to speak to them throughout the week, that they would hear your voice, Lord, that you would give them the power that they need, whether they need to forgive, they need to stand up for justice in an unjust situation. Maybe they just need to know that you are faithful and you are salvation and you're working to redeem them. You are working on their behalf or the behalf of a loved one. God, I pray that we would be a people who are all in with Jesus, that you would purge us from evil and that you would get rid of the idols in our heart, that we would give those to you. Give us the courage and the strength. Thank you for loving us, God. We love you too. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online 
at oakcreekag.org.